Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to You Are the Current Resident Podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan, and sitting next to me, as always, is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian, how are you? Eddie, doing great. Glad to be back once again to record another episode. And I think we've got some really good stuff today. So looking forward to it. All right. So last week, we said you were headed out to Chicago. How did that go? Oh, it was great. We had an excellent event in Chicago where we had a lot of local uh, union leaders and local media was out and a lot of letter carriers just trying to bring some awareness and attention to the crime issues that we've experienced with the robberies and, and attacks on our members and So I know we'll talk a good bit about that, uh, more in a general sense to start with. But then later on in the show, we'll have Branch 11 President Elise Foster is going to join us for a few minutes to talk about some of the specifics of that event. But it was great. It's always good to be with our brothers and sisters, um, especially in a place like Chicago. And this was not the best of circumstances, but I think it was definitely a successful event that helped raise awareness. Things went great there, and uh, we look forward to doing more of that around the country. Great. All right, so today we're going to talk about crime and the continuing assaults on letter carriers. I sat down earlier this week and came up with some questions that I thought our members might have. If I didn't ask the question you might have had, you can always ask your question through our Ask the Mailbag. Submit your questions by emailing us at social at nalc.org. All right, so here's my first question. We hear about carriers getting robbed or assaulted used to be a rare thing. And nowadays, it seems like you hear about it more weekly, if not more often than that. Is it just that there's much more camera phones out there? Or is there really an uptick on attacks? Yeah, unfortunately, it's true that there is an increase. And this is when we look at data from the Postal Inspection Service, who's the arm of the Postal Service that tracks this kind of stuff and ultimately is has responsibility for protecting postal employees, including our members. Over the last few years, we have seen an increase in those numbers of attacks. And just based on conversations we've had with, with them, certainly with the leadership at the Postal Service and also with folks at, uh, at the Office of Inspector General who also investigate these crimes, it, it appears that the genesis, so to speak, of this increase is born out of some of what we saw in 2020 when the pandemic was at its height, where you know there were more checks in the mail. I think we all remember some of the stimulus legislation that was out there and people were receiving checks. And we saw lots of efforts from criminals to get their hands on the mail, and they've come up with elaborate check-washing schemes and and ways to duplicate those checks that have resulted in that increased number of attacks and and robberies on our members. Not always, but for the most part, just trying to gain access to the mail to get their hands on checks and things like that. So there's no question. It's not just uh, anecdotal in, in terms of some of the things we see in the news. And maybe for those of you listening, what you may have heard of in your area, unfortunately, um, nationally, it is an alarming increase in the number of attacks and and violence we've seen against our members. Is there like a crime syndicate out there or is it because like letter carriers are on the street every day, almost like clockwork? Does it make us an easy target for criminals? Yeah, a little bit of both. One of the, the scary things is it does appear that a number of these attacks are organized efforts where we have criminals that, as I mentioned earlier, have developed these schemes where the people that come up with these type of 
plans and commit these crimes are not necessarily the folks that are out there actually attempting to rob letter carriers. You know, lots of times they'll kind of recruit other people to go out and do that. So the majority of what we've seen in terms of the robberies are they tie back to that. But then there's also just simple crimes of opportunity where, as you mentioned, we are everywhere every day. We generally are in the same general locations within the same general time period during the day. I guess to some degree that does make us, you know, an easy target for a criminal, someone that maybe not is just doing this on a whim, but where it's more of a planned effort and they observe and see, you know, where our folks are throughout the day and just look for an opportunity, you know, where they may be able to commit one of these crimes out of sight of potential witnesses and, and things like that. So it's a little bit of both. There's an organized element to it, and which really is scary because every day that goes by where that crime is undeterred, it's got very much potential to grow. But then also, it is a crime of opportunity sometimes when folks know where we are throughout the day and find what they, I guess in their mind, believe to be the best opportunity for them to rob us. And as I said, most times that's about gaining access to the mail in some way. So what are they after? Normally, it's looking for something with the mail. As letter carriers know, we don't carry around a bunch of money. It's almost always driven by whether it's direct theft of the mail or trying to access the ways that we, while we're out on our routes, access mail, be that mail that we collect or delivery when we're making deliveries. I, for obvious reasons, on this podcast or when I speak to the media about this, I don't get into specifics about how we do that. We don't want to you know, advertise to potential criminals. But the vast majority of the time, not always, we do see some just completely senseless acts of violence, but the vast majority of the robberies, and in particular the increased number of robberies that we've seen of our members are all about somehow someone gaining access to the mail. So what happened to the postal police? Yeah, this has been a hot topic for a few years. So a little bit of background, the postal police is mostly they're centered in large cities, They are represented by a union, the Postal Police Officers Association, a union that we have a close relationship with and have had a lot of communications over the last few years about this issue. Their numbers have gone down. They've been in some fights with the Postal Service over issues related to collective bargaining, about jurisdiction and where they can work. There was a time where the Postal Service completely took them off the street and kind of relegated the postal police officers to guarding buildings and things like that. My understanding is in recent months that they would remove a prohibition the Postal Service had put on postal police officers being out on the street. And while we don't have any intention of getting directly involved in any of their collective bargaining efforts or their contract fights, no no more than they have any intention of getting involved in ours. It definitely would be a positive thing for us if we could utilize the postal police as well as, you know, any other law enforcement that are out there to increase the presence of law enforcement that we have out on the street. Any little piece that we can do like that that could prevent even one of these crimes from taking place is a positive. So as I said, my understanding is they were successful in that arbitration. I think they're still in the process of maybe expanding some of their work. I know the inspection service has put out a call recently to hire postal police officers, so that's a good sign. And then, like I said, mostly big cities where postal police officers work, this would definitely be a positive step if we could get them back out on the street and not just stopping these crimes, but just simply having a presence can make a difference. We've seen that in the past with some of the projects that we've done in different places. Their numbers over the years have dwindled. I think they're down to somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 officers nationwide. Hopefully that number 
will grow and we'll be able to utilize them and any other resource that's out there to protect letter carriers. So what is the Postal Service saying about this? Do they have a plan to help protect us? Yeah, so the Postal Service is keenly aware of this issue. We've had many conversations with the leadership over there about this, as well as with the Inspection Service, and have attempted to come up with solutions. Unfortunately, this is a type of issue. There's not really one single thing that can be done that will fix it. It takes an approach that has a lot of different elements, areas for us to make improvements. And, you know, that's the nature of the conversations we've had with them. I will say that they have expressed commitment to doing whatever is necessary to protect our members while we're out there. Unfortunately, it's just not the type of thing that happens overnight, but they have done some investment in some areas that I think we'll probably get into here in a few minutes. They've invested in things that hopefully help deter this crime going forward. I hate to say it, but who else is going to fix the problem but us? What's our plan? Sure. So there's a number of things that we can do that we're currently engaged in. As I mentioned, there's unfortunately not a single solution to this, but the elements that we've focused on, there's a number of them. Number one is to devalue and secure the ways that we access the mail. So the Postal Service has conducted several different tests. They have one that is ongoing that utilizes some technology to change the way that we access collection boxes, the way that we access cluster boxes and places where we deliver mail involving technology. One of those tests um, was completed a few months ago. We've got another that started a few weeks ago out in California. And it's promising when we look at the results of those tests. Now, we've not settled on what particular device or solution may be there, but I will tell you the Postal Service has committed the resources to doing a full replacement of the system that we currently have. So we're optimistic about that. Now, understanding there's an awful lot of collection boxes and delivery points out there. So, you know, this is something that'll take some time to get into full replacement, but that's one big piece is devaluing what these criminals often try to steal and better securing the mail. Another piece that's really important and ultimately should act as the biggest deterrent for those that are considering committing these crimes is the prosecution rates. The prosecution rates for these crimes are very low. We have seen some increase recently, and I'll get into why in a minute. But these are federal crimes, and they go directly to U.S. attorney's offices for the initial prosecution. So the way this works is when one of these crimes is committed, the Postal Inspection Service investigates it. They do an outstanding job in investigating these crimes. They turn that over to the U.S. Attorney's Office, and in some cases, those U.S. Attorney's Offices prosecute these crimes. In other cases, and this is really a geographic thing, it depends on where it is, they have bigger fish to fry, so to speak. So then in some cases, we see them move down to the state level, and we see prosecution there, but every state has very different laws about this kind of thing. The prosecution rates overall are low. They're not where they should be, and it's inconsistent across the board. But recently, we've made a little progress here. The Postal Service themselves has, they have invested in a number of prosecutors that are out there that they are funding to work out of these U.S. attorney's offices solely for the purpose of prosecuting these crimes. That's a good start. And ultimately, what we have to try to achieve, be it at the federal level, the state level, is that every person that commits one of these crimes 
needs to be held responsible. That crime needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And we'll continue to work towards that. Because in the end, the biggest deterrent for any of these criminals is what's going to happen to them if they do this. And if people know that if you do this, you are going to jail, then that piece becomes, I think, the biggest deterrent that we could put out there. So along with that comes messaging to the public about do this, you go to jail, period. So that's something we'll continue to remain engaged in with not just the Postal Service, the Inspection Service, but also other professional organizations that represent the prosecutors and you know whatever we can do, be it at the state or federal level, we'll keep doing that. Another key element is a law enforcement presence. And this is something that in years past where we've had pockets of this crime increasing, that we've had some success utilizing. And there's a number of ways to do this. We talked about the Postal Police a little bit earlier. There's the inspection service themselves who, numbers-wise, don't really have the number of inspectors on a national scale to be out there. But one thing they do have is they've got a lot of intelligence. They've got a lot of technology. They have a lot of relationships in some cases with local and state-level law enforcement that can assist in this. Well, we're not talking about necessarily having a member of law enforcement follow every carrier around every day, just increasing the presence that's out there so that they are seen. We talked about the Postal Police already. We are currently working with the Postal Service and the Inspection Service to identify and establish some pilots in some locations where we can work with local law enforcement to increase the presence, particularly in locations where we've seen like a high density of these crimes take place. I will tell you just to be very honest about it, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, In a lot of cases, those local law enforcement agencies are experiencing staffing problems, much as we are in a lot of uh, a lot of locations. So there's some challenges out there, but that is, is a key element to this. That's a, a key deterrent to those that may be committing these crimes. And, and the last thing I'll mention is just simply raising public awareness so that the people that, that we serve, that we take great pride and joy in serving our customers out there, just letting them know that, hey, this is going on and just keep an eye out for us. If you see something that's out of the ordinary or you see someone that is questionable in terms of them maybe following a letter carrier around or watching a letter carrier, or or you have the opportunity to keep your eyes open and see something going on, you know, just notify the local authorities. And I've done a, a number of interviews with media at the national level. We've had several of our folks around the country, our branches and branch presidents have done the same thing. We're starting to see some events organized by different branches and partnering with members of Congress and maybe local leadership at the municipal level just to do press type events to get some coverage of this stuff in the media and get the word out. So that's an important thing too. You know, we have for a long time been voted as the most trusted federal employees and letter cares. Most of you listen to this podcast, you know, you, you know how the people that we serve typically feel about us. Anything that we can do just to increase the whole concept of a neighborhood watch type concept where people just simply keep their eyes and ears open. And, you know, ultimately that's something that while some of these things like law enforcement presence in some places may be more difficult than others, this is something we can do everywhere. It's the kind of thing that really takes 
a little bit from all of us. There's nothing that can be done solely at the local level. There's nothing that can be done solely here at the national level or any one particular agency can do that is going to resolve this problem. This is something that's going to take a little bit from all of us. We will, as as we move forward, be it on this podcast, our magazine, the website, we will keep our members up to date on everything that we have working there. And, and ultimately, through a combination of all of these different things I've mentioned, we're able to start turning that ship of deterring this crime and keeping our members more safe while they're out there on the street. What is your advice for those who are on their route and their spidey sense starts to tingle and they start to feel unsafe? Do whatever it is you have to do to keep yourself safe. If somebody approaches you and demands something or, or threatens you, or of course, if they have um, a weapon of some kind, just give it to them. There's nothing you need to do to try to resist that. Just give it to them. If you see something unusual out on the street, just as I was talking about earlier with asking the public to look forward, you know, you see someone, do not hesitate to contact, not just you know, your management back at your station, but contact law enforcement. The numbers of these crimes that we've seen puts us in a place where it's always better for us to be safe than be sorry. So if you have any suspicion whatsoever of something going on, reach out, let the Postal Service know. Do not hesitate to reach out to local law enforcement. And if you unfortunately find yourself in a position of being victim of one of these crimes, protect yourself first. If someone comes up and tries to steal something from you, let them have it. There's nothing out there that's as valuable as your health and and your safety. Certainly protect yourself to the extent you can, but do not put yourself in any more harm than you have to to try to protect any of the possessions that you have. The most important thing out there is you and your safety and your health. You know, anything that you can do to help keep yourself safe, then you should absolutely do that. God forbid, but after a carrier gets assaulted, what can the Postal Service and the NALC do to help the member cope not only with their physical problems, but the mental trauma as well? There's a number of things. Some of it depends on the details of what took place, but there's a number of things through the Postal Service as well as through OWCP, you know, with workers' compensation that the law entitles you to. And I think as hopefully... Uh, most of you are aware NALC has the greatest of all labor unions. We are the best in terms of representation for our members that are injured on the job. And these often result in injury. And it's not just physical injury. I mean, it can result and often does result in injuries from an emotional perspective, you know, a, a mental health perspective. There's trauma that's always associated with these things. So we've got a group of people out there that are willing to help you if you're unfortunately a victim of something like this, I encourage you to check out the poster record. We've written over the years a number of different columns about the steps that you can take, but just know we've got a network of people out there that can help you. So contact your national business agent's office and, and they can point you in the right direction and we will do everything we can to ensure that you receive everything you're entitled to, whether it's through the postal service or definitely under the law in terms of workers' compensation. And, you know, there's a number of things out there, again, depending on the circumstances, but we will absolutely do whatever necessary, and we have with everyone that's a victim to one of these. We're very quick to jump in and do everything that we can do to help them through a difficult situation. So those are the questions I had this week. If I missed one or you want to ask your question, you can always ask through our Ask the Mailbag segment. Ask your question, 
Just submit your question through email at social at NALC.org. Social at NALC.org, and we'll ask the questions that I missed. Previously, we talked about me attending a rally that was held in Chicago that Branch 11 put together to bring public awareness and gather some media attention around the crime issues that we're experiencing and the attacks on letter carriers. And as we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, as we continue with this podcast, we intend to bring on some different people. And we thought with the topic of this week's episode, it would be good to have Branch 11 President Elise Foster on. This was recorded after the rally and this conversation. We discuss some of the issues that they've experienced in Chicago and what went into putting the rally together and ultimately how it went. So here is my conversation with Branch 11 President Elise Foster. Well, we're happy on today's episode of the You Are the Current Resident podcast to have Branch 11 President Elise Foster. Elise, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Renfro? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So I think everybody out there knows by now that you're the president of Branch 11. But before we get into the topic that, that we really want to dive into a little bit, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history of working with the union? Yes, my name is Elise Bryan, said Elise Foster. I have 29 years with the United States Postal Service. I started my career June 11, 1994. I became a shop steward and work my way through the ranks of the NALC, held various elected positions within my branch, and I just became the first female president of NALC Branch 11, Chicago. So I'm real happy about that. Yep. We are all real happy about that. And uh, just to maybe pull the curtain back a little bit, Elise and I have been good friends for a long, long time. Back a long, long time ago, we uh, went to the Leadership Academy together. So, you know, I in particular was thrilled when Elise became president of Branch 11. And certainly her being the first female president there is a big deal. And that's the kind of first that, uh, that we like. Elise, on Tuesday, August the 8th, you know, I had the opportunity to come to Chicago and you put together an event pretty quickly that I think was very successful in terms of raising public awareness. And we got you know, a lot of media coverage about it. But before we get into the event itself, why don't you give us a little bit of background on in the past or I guess most importantly here recently, the kinds of issues with crime and robberies and violence we've seen against our members, which is the topic of this particular episode of the podcast. Just give us a little bit of information about what our brothers and sisters in Chicago have been experiencing recently. Yes. Well, Brian, we have been dealing with this violence here in Chicago for quite some time. And the letter carriers have been under attack as far as being robbed, assaulted for their arrow keys, sometimes mail goods, or their personal belongings. And I had I felt like we had to do something. You know, just recently on last Tuesday, one of our brothers from Urban Park Station was shot while performing his duties. And it's just, like I said, I was upset. I felt helpless because something needs to be done. If I could have done more, because we've been advocating about this for quite some time. I think I had called and talked to you at several, you know, COPs and things like that. We had conversations about this plague that's over letter carriers and that it should not be happening. We are federal workers and we should be protected while we're on the job. And I've sat down at the table with many uh, leaderships from the OIG, the Postal Service, our elected officials, and asking what can be done. What does safety look like for letter carriers while we're performing our duties? And enough is enough happening to our brother that when he got shot, 
that um, had already been anticipating doing a rally, saying something needs to be done. And this here was the straw that broke the camel's back to say, we got to do something. And we planned this rally, turned it around. So Grace says, the Letty Carriers on board, they was wanting to do something, you know, to get out to voice opinion about their co-workers that's facing this. Attack on one is attack on all of us. Like I said, we don't know who's going to be the next victim, but we should not have to work like that. We demand respect. We demand safety out there while we walk in these streets. The female carriers is out there. We're working. We are working long hours, you know, and we're just asking for some type of help from anybody that can help us change the laws, get more aggressive with the laws, prosecute them to the catch them first and prosecute them to the full extent of the law. And let the carriers know that they're out there. We're trying to do something on what level? Department of Justice level, federal level, in the city. There's something that's going on. Postal police, we reached out to them. They want to help. You know, as Brian said, he was here at the rally. Thank you for coming. I appreciate that support. We also had the National Assistant Secretary Treasurer, Mac Julian, here, who is no stranger to what's going on in Chicago as the former president. So this is something that he's been advocating for when he was the president, and it's still going on 13 years and nothing has happened. So Renfro, something needs to be done to protect the letter carriers. And that's why this rally was so important that we wanted to get out there to do. I think every, like I said, I think everybody's coming. I elected officials. We had some aldermen. We had the city clerk. We had Congressman Danny Davis was there to support us. We had a lot of support, and they're out there supporting the letter carriers, but we just need to know what we need to do to get our elected officials, Department of Justice. I mean, Senator Dick Durbin has been advocating for this to help the letter carriers. We just need to know when is it going to happen, and what does it look like safety for letter carriers across this country? And I'm just advocating for Chicago, but it's across the country, because I say attack on one, it's attack on all of us. Absolutely. And it was, as Elise mentioned, your Assistant Secretary Treasurer, Mac Julian, and I both traveled to Chicago. Mac was Elise's predecessor as branch president there in Branch 11. And this is not, I think we've seen an increase here recently, but unfortunately, it's not a new issue. And I, I just wanted for the listeners, to the extent I can, explain to you between Elise's words yesterday, of course, you know, Mac's words. And, and for them, it's very personal because most of these people, you know, our brothers and sisters that have fallen victim to these crimes are, are folks that they've had personal relationships with. But the common themes were basically that an attack on one of us is an attack on all. We demand and deserve, number one, respect and protection. And basically, the Postal Inspection Service, who is the agency or the arm of the Postal Service that has a responsibility for protecting us, by all indications, they do a great job in investigating these crimes, but prevention is what we need and protection. And when we look at other issues, like we talked about in this episode, the prosecution rates being too low, the Department of Justice simply is not doing what it needs to do to create that deterrent that's out there. And while we've experienced an increase in the number of robberies and any violent crime against our members, across the country. In Chicago, as we've seen, we see more of these happen. I mean, it's multiple times every single week. 
that we see these crimes taking place. And unfortunately, it's as we talked about at the rally, this is not something where there's a single solution that all of a sudden stops it. It takes a number of different, there's a lot of different avenues that need to be pursued and a lot of different people and agencies and groups that need to be involved. And it was great to have a number of those represented, as well as our brothers and sisters from other unions came out at the rally to support us. So it's the type issue that takes effort from every single one of us to uh, hopefully make a difference. At least if you would talk about, I know this thing came together real quickly <laughs> within a matter of days and uh, th this event, and I was really impressed. I don't know how many people were there, but I know there were a lot of letter carriers there. Really a projection of passion that's out there, why this issue is important and I think a, very much a demonstration of solidarity, you know, not just with our brothers and sisters that have fallen victim to these crimes, but also with everyone in Chicago and around the country. So tell us a little bit about what went into planning this event. Uh, I know, as I mentioned earlier, there was a lot of media coverage, at least in Chicago last night, I, you know, watching some of the local news and, and that type stuff. But I think this event really could be a blueprint that we use in other areas around the country to raise public awareness and make our voice heard. And hopefully, ultimately, that results in some action from those that have the responsibility to protect us. So if you would, just tell us a little bit about the planning and how it came together so quickly. Sure, not a problem. You know, when this letter carrier was shot and said, hey, we got to do something, you know, we got to get the awareness out there, you know, we got to take it to the streets. I'd already been planning it, thinking about it. But when it happened, I just went into action. I first had a meeting with my officers. We talked about it, what we needed to do. Everybody was on board and we just started strategizing on what we're going to do, what this looks like. Um, I even reached out to the business agent. And I reached out to uh, local uh, partners here in Chicago, with the Chicago Federation of Labor. They helped me with the media. We got to the printers, got with the signing. We just, just came up, enough is enough. What it looks like, because that's what we, we're talking about, enough is enough. What is it going to take? So I just went into action and officers of Branch 11 helped me. The state president, we had all hands on deck to see what we can do to get everybody, everybody who had some connection we all came together to make it happen in a short period of time to get out. We would have could have been sooner. You know, if I could have got out there sooner, would have loved it. But the eighth was so significant because it was a one week from the day that it really just happened. So I wanted to hurry up and get out there with it, get this out in the news, keep it fresh. I have been on the news talking about this for so long to where I'm just tired of talking about it. So what we need to go into action. And if we can have more and need to do more, just let us know we on board. But planning it to get the carriers out. My carriers has always been talking about it. I applaud them for coming out, those that we did. We still had carriers that are still working on the street. They called me and say, at least I can't make it, but I'm with you. I thank them for their support so far. But, you know, whatever we need to do, we're willing to get out there to keep this message fresh in the public until, like you said, something is done to protect our workers. Yeah, and we will continue to carry that message forward. It's important that we all continue to carry that message forward. So as they always do, you know, Branch 11 members always show up and show out. And that was certainly the case at this event. Well, at least we really, uh, number one, I appreciate you taking some time to be on the podcast. Definitely appreciate you putting together so quickly a successful event that should uh, hopefully jumpstart some of the things in Chicago and beyond that we need to do to protect our members that are being out there. But most importantly, I thank you for your friendship and for your leadership there in Branch 11. We Look forward to seeing you soon. 
All right. Thank you. I appreciate you having me and good luck. Get us some help. All right. Now let's go to our Ask the Mailbag segment. Our first question is from Geraldine Clifford. She's a retiree from Branch 214. She has a question about Medicare integration. She wants us to please identify the plans in the postal subset that we will be required to choose from. I'd like to do some research research before I commit. Thank you for your prompt response. Well, Geraldine, thank you for your question. And uh, as a retiree, want to thank you for your service as a letter carrier and uh, hope you are enjoying your retirement. As I mentioned on a couple of episodes ago, each of the plans that are in the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, I would venture to say not necessarily every single plan, but the vast majority of them, the plans that our members have, the high option plans in particular, they will all create duplicate plans. I cannot tell you with absolute certainty right now which plans will and which plans won't. I can tell you that the NALC plan, of course, will, as will all the other high option plans that letter carriers have. Very important piece of this is the plan that will be in the postal subset will be identical to the plan that's available under the larger FEEB umbrella. So the benefits for the plan, they will only change in terms of the the yearly changes in benefits. There will be no difference in that plan. And if this, let's say this law wasn't in effect, the plan that you will have in terms of the benefits will be exactly the same. If you have the NALC plan right now, the NALC plan and the postal subset for plan year 2025 will be identical to the NALC plan that's available to all the other Fed. The change is you're not going to see anything different other than a positive impact over the years on premiums compared to if this legislation wasn't there. There's really no downside to this, particularly someone, if you're all, Geraldine, in your case, if you're already retired, you're not required to do anything different. It's just that your plan that you select will, for administrative purposes, exist in that postal subset, but it will be exactly the same plan as what you had before. As soon as information is available, and this will be sometime next year, about the plans that will be included in the postal subset, which once again is going to be the vast majority of them. If there's a plan that is not included, it's not because they're excluded, it's because that plan chose not to do it. It's more than likely going to be one of the the plans that almost no one participates in. There's a lot of plans in the federal program that are geographic in nature and they're only available to people that live in one little small certain area. And these are the plans that 99.99999% of our members do not have. The plans that nearly all of our members have, particularly if you live in a, a metropolitan area, and I think in your case, Geraldine, you're from Branch 214, so you're in the Bay Area. The plan that you have almost certainly will be available in the postal subset, and there will be no change there. There will be more information about that next year once all that information comes out. I wouldn't anticipate uh, anything that, as far as research, you just simply need to look at the benefits and the fact that it's in the postal subset is not going to change the benefits. So it'll be the same in that regard. Our next question comes from Jade McBride. She has a question about SNDCs. With the introduction of these new mail centers with different stations being brought under one roof, potentially creating problems with different LMOUs, 
carrier seniorities, vacation, calendars, etc., what agreements, if any, are being worked on to ensure that the NALC branches will be able to coexist within the same facility? And, if these branches are going to have to merge, what steps are being taken to ensure that it will be done so with the best interests of the carriers in those branches? All right, Jay, good question. Let me just answer this in a couple of different ways. Let me take part one where you ask about what agreements are being worked on to ensure that they're able to coexist. Well, there are two agreements that we negotiated with the Postal Service and signed back in January. In the MRS, they are M numbers 1990 and M1991. Both of these agreements cover a a variety of different issues that are common to each S&DC, such as route adjustments, things like you mentioned, such as the LMOUs, how if you've got multiple places coming into one location in one of these SNDCs and you have multiple LMOUs, what's the process for resolving those? So those agreements are in place. We communicate with the Postal Service about this stuff basically daily. I can tell you as of today, and we are into early to mid-August here, we've not had a single issue that's come up due to one of these SNDCs that we've not resolved. That's been a good thing. The second part of your question about if the branches coexisting and if they have to merge, ultimately that is my decision. And every one of these SNDCs are different. So some of them happen and the places that they move into a single location are all part of the same branch. So it's really no issue. It's just a matter of working through, you know, if there are multiple LMOUs, that branch works through them. In other cases, we have those that involve multiple branches. What we do is we look at every single SNDC separately. We have an extensive process that some of our headquarters staff here work through the NBA office and with each of the impacted local branches in advance of the SNDC happening, in advance of the routes and the carriers actually moving, where we go through and get answers to a ton of questions. And we try to identify any issue that we can anticipate coming up and resolve that issue ahead of time. Sometimes that's stuff related to things that may be in LMOUs or local operational stuff that is going to conflict once they move. And sometimes that's a matter of representation. If we have multiple branches move in, I will, in every one of those cases, make a decision, of course, after gathering the information and our people here through the NBA offices consulting with the branches and looking at the specifics of each location, I will make a decision and put that in the form of a letter in terms of If multiple branches are there and they will coexist, how does that work with LMOUs? Who appoints certain stewards? You know, all kinds of things like that. This is in some ways similar to a process that we had, I guess this is started in about 2011, called delivery unit optimization, where Postal Service would move locations together and they would keep the retail portion of a post office open. So the circumstance really did not fall under any of the different scenarios that are covered in Article 12 of our collective bargaining agreement. Back then, we had to uh, make decisions from here on representation, and I worked with then-President Rolando on a number of those. This is similar in that regard as far as what happens with the representation. We gather a ton of information. There's a lot of conversation that takes place. 
and then we'll make decisions on each of those. But as far as your original question, there are those two agreements that are out there. They have resolution processes. If things cannot be resolved locally, we do our best to get ahead of them and figure out and anticipate any issues that may come up and resolve them. And then in terms of how the branches will coexist and who will represent who, based on that information, I make that decision. And I can promise you that every single one of those decisions is always made with one intention and based on one simple factor, and that is what is in the best interest of the letter carriers that are affected there and their representation. All right, we have a question about under time and a workload report request. This question comes from Dennis from New Jersey. Yo, Dennis, how you doing? He has his, he goes like this. He says, I have a question that needs to be cleared up. Under time. Yes, I understandably understand that we all hate it. I know how it works. Our volume hasn't been back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, For the most part, he's been a carrier for 10 years. He takes all his breaks and he's not a runner. Keep your bows and arrows to yourself. He just wants to have clarification about when he's assigned under time, how much is he supposed to get? Then he goes into a little bit of a conversation about his supervisor, probably not giving exact answers on what his workload report says. What can people do about under time and the workload report? What What do you suggest, Brian? Yes, this is a good question. And uh, coincidentally, after this, our next episode is all about this kind of thing. Our next episode will focus on the morning routine, let's call it, of you as a carrier out there and the manager comes around and the 3996 and, and all of that process. So we'll get in depth, not just on what your requirements are and what management's requirements are, but some real practical advice on how best to handle it. But I will answer your question, and I strongly encourage you to tune in to uh, that next episode. As I said, we'll get in depth. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is their workload report or DOAS projection or any of that stuff, that stuff is 100% irrelevant to you. What matters is your opinion as a professional letter carrier based on the information you have that day, your mail volume, what you think it is going to take you. If you think it's going to be a normal day and take you your full eight hours and management says, you know, they think you have undertime, that doesn't mean you have undertime. <laughs> so, and we'll get in depth again next week on how to handle that conversation. Your responsibility is simply to give them your best estimate. And when they ask you about, can you do such and such and such and such, all you have to do is give them your best estimate. Um, If they insist on you doing it anyway, all you have to do is do your best and then communicate with them later on. So we'll get into, again, more of that next week. But I think the most important point here is don't worry about what that piece of paper and that computer projection says. You know way more about your route than that piece of paper in that computer node. Yes, they use that as a tool, and we have some strong contractual protections that, once again, we'll get into next week. But remember, nothing is a substitute for your opinion as a professional letter carrier. Forget what the report says. Give your opinion based on what you know, and then go from there and tune in next week, please. Great answer. I uh, almost caught the Holy Spirit there. I was ready to say amen, amen, (laughs) after you were telling them what to do. All right, Brian. That's going to end the show for this week. Thanks for your time this week, Brian. And thank you for listening to this episode of You Are the Current Resident. Please subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And please share the podcast with our NELC brothers and sisters. In these next episodes, we'll always have an Ask the Mailbag segment. To submit your questions, please email us at social 
at NALC.org. You can follow the NALC on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. You can find links to our accounts in the episode description. And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. Again, if you have any questions you want to submit or you have some feedback about the podcast, you can email us at social at NALC.org. And as always, may your steward be by your side and your union have your back. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.